The Man in Line, brought to you by NetZeroMatrix.com, your one-stop shop for advice on renewable energy solutions and other green initiatives. Seven minutes after 12, faster by good afternoon. Welcome to Man in Line on Max Radio. Your daily opportunity to uh, let us know what's on your mind. Could be something serious. Could be something frivolous. If it's on your mind, it's of interest to us. Call 661368. Email studio at maxradio.com. Text 166167. Well, we'll come on to Noble's Hospital in a moment, but yes, the uh, story is that probably, probably isn't going to be a TT fun fair this year. Uh, I don't know uh, how you feel about the TT fun fair, whether you think it's pivotal to the atmosphere of the TT. Of course, there wasn't one last year, but very close by was the 1886 stage, which will probably have been ruined by having the noise of the funfair in the background. But uh, the the political member with responsibility for tourism motorsport is Tim Crookall, MHK. And uh, we asked Tim Crookall for a statement on whether or not, because we've been getting lots of requests about the TT funfair, and Mr. Crockall said uh, that he appreciated the potential of the funfair not returning may be disappointing for some residents, but it's important that as a department they review where best to invest time and resource in line with the overarching island plan and TT strategic plan. Over the years, the department supported various entertainment options during the TT races, including the funfair. Uh, the department's focus is on supporting entertainment that attracts visitors to attend the races that doesn't infringe on the wider infrastructure so is integral to the successful delivery of the event. Uh, the department's continuing to try to build a fantastic visitor experience around the TT Grandstand area with attractions, music, entertainment, hospitality aimed at attracting additional visitors and get more business as a result of tourist numbers. The organisers of the funfair can still apply directly for the appropriate permissions to bring the funfair to the island through the appropriate government and local authority channels. That would seem to be... Well, if you read between the lines, uh, it seems like the department isn't going to support the funfair, although I think the funfair always said they paid their own way. But there was obviously a resource because uh, the walkway had to be cleared up afterwards and what have you. And uh, I just wonder whether you think, did you ever know any visitors who used the funfair? It was mainly, I think, that Manx people and, of course, some parents may breathe a sigh of relief that the funfair isn't there anymore because it wasn't what you call a cheap night out if you have more than one child. But anyway, I just wonder what your thoughts are. Remember, funfair's been in different places. wasn't always on Lock Promenade. For a while, it was up uh, at Queen's Promenade at the end towards Summerland. And for do you remember many years, it was in Nobles Park. And those, we all remember those times when Nobles Park ended up looking like a ploughed field because uh, it was rainy and they had to haul the funfair rides from Nobles Park. So what are your thoughts on this? Text, email, call, WhatsApp. Do you think the TT funfair is a kind of deal breaker? Do you think it's something we need? Do you think it forms a backdrop, a kind of what they call kinetic energy backdrop? Something is always happening. 
uh, with the TT Funfair. Thoughts, text, email, call, WhatsApp, just a quick word about Manx Telecom today. Uh, they're carrying out essential planned works in the east of the Isle of Man, causing disruption to fibre broadband services. So uh, if you're in these areas, you may be interrupted today, or you may be already interrupted. Central Douglas, Douglas Head Marine Drive, Port Sodrick, Newtown, Mount Murray, Alaman Business Park, Farm Hill, Paul Rose, Quarterbridge Road, Woodburn Road, Central Prom, Harris Prom, Lock Prom, surrounding areas. If you're in the affected area, you'll get a loss of broadband for up to 20 minutes. Uh, if in the first instance your router doesn't automatically reconnect, uh, then basically reboot it before contacting the service provider. That's uh, the fibre broadband um, Essential planned works, the Manx Telecom are on today. Uh, so now we've got that and lots of questions. I didn't get to the questions yesterday. I didn't get to the questions the day before. And I've got lots uh, that I should be talking about. One uh, that was also regarding uh, Mark, who dropped me a note in just to say, the Isle of Man has the highest waste disposal cost at amenity sites in Europe. Now, is this true? I wonder if any of the people choose to fly tip. In the Isle of Man, the charges at the amenity site, and uh, I'm taking Mark's word for this, uh, an under-the-counter fridge up to 50 kilograms is £34 to get rid of at the amenity site. A chest freezer or a freezer up to 100 kilograms is £53. An American-style fridge, big one, 150 kilograms and more, £87. A PC monitor's £14. TV is £27, a laptop's £14, and I didn't know there's a dehumidifier. I didn't know there was a charge for dehumidifiers, £34. And Mark says a Google search of UK sites shows these items are free of charge. Free of charge for all the sites that he's looked at, and that's over 10. Now, is this bearing in mind the amount of fly tipping that's uh, that's been going on that continues to go on? I just wonder what you uh, what your thoughts are regarding that. And we'll also come to that problem that where somebody tipped in household rubbish into the uh, the Alaman Creamery's recycling bin. Uh, I just wonder if you have got things like that PC monitors. Um, I mean, would you pay £14 to have a PC monitor taken or would you just smash it up and put it in pieces in your dustbin? I'm not suggesting you should. I'm not advocating that you would. But £14 for a PC monitor, a TV, well, TVs can range, you know, massive televisions or little ditty things, £27 for that. And certainly fridges, well, we've been charging for fridges for ages and ages. But there are some people who bluntly don't want to pay that. Some people really don't want to be shelling out, you know, a hundred quid for a couple of fridges in a house they've just bought that they don't want anymore. So is it time to bite the bullet to make us green and to completely cut out fly tipping? Because fly tipping is one of those things that, you know, it's one person, it's a few people that do it, but we all have to look at it and we all have to suffer it. And particularly the landowners who are subject to it then have to, you know, dig, uh, dig themselves out of it. Uh, now, just regarding Nobles Hospital um, and the um, uh, level of coverage that they had, I just want to look at the fact that Nobles remains under significant pressure. Patients having to be cared for in the emergency department overnight. 
The medical facility is now operating at Opel 4, O-P-E-L 4, the most severe rating. Last month it reached level this level five times. So what's going on? What exactly is Opel 3? Why are we hitting the ceiling so many times? Siobhan looks at what's going on. Noble's Hospital seems to be operating at Opal 4 status more often recently. Yesterday, this was due to a lack of admitting capacity, meaning a number of patients were cared for in the emergency department overnight. These patients were cared for on hospital beds and in single rooms. However, the healthcare body admitted it was working hard to create room in its inpatient wards so they could be admitted. In a statement, Manx Care again asked members of the public to choose well when seeking health and care support and attend the healthcare setting that is most suitable for their clinical needs. So what is the big picture here? Rob Pritchard's been looking at the Tinwald written answer on this topic. So Rob, what does it reveal? So last month, the former Health and Social Care Minister, David Ashford, asked current Minister Laurie Hooper what the OPAL status has been on each day since the system was implemented at the beginning of November 2021. The written answer revealed it had hit OPAL 4 a total number of 10 times in the period between the 1st of November 2021 and the 31st of December 2022. Of these, five instances were in December alone, a number already matched in January this year. The CEO of Manx Care, Theresa Cope, recently addressed the ongoing issues on Man in Line with Beth Espy. So Opal 4 means we are at our highest level of escalation and under significant pressure. So the Opal framework goes from Opal 1, which is effectively business as usual, right through to Opal 4. And Opal 4 is judged by essentially um, what does our staffing look like across the organisation, how many beds do we have available, are our ambulances able to offload in a timely way into the emergency department, how busy the emergency department is, and whether we have um, patients in hospital who are ready to leave hospital, but they are delayed uh, in that discharge for whatever reason. I think it's really important to describe that when we talk about Opal 4, yes, it does mean we are incredibly busy and under pressure, but we take the Opal 4 actions to decompress. So we, we stop doing some things which aren't clinically as urgent. We make some changes. We stop non-essential meetings because our focus um, during those Opal four times when we're under pressure is to make sure all of our focus and energy is around treating the patients and ultimately allowing the hospital to flow correctly, that we've got the right staffing levels and we are taking the right actions. It means operations pressure escalation levels, OPAL, operations pressure escalation levels used by the NHS to measure stress, demand and pressure that a hospital is under. OPAL 4 is the highest one. It's the ceiling. And we were there... Five times last month in January. And we were there yesterday. Dodsey's on now. Hi, Dodsey. Hey, mate. You're right. Um, tell me, is this government really childless and boring, or at least most of them? Because what are the kids going to do over TT? I mean, they've got a bank holiday or they've got a, um, some time off over TT. And what are they going to do? I mean, there's only a, a, a small amount of um, places that kids can go nowadays, like yeah. Fun Barn and, you know, the Dragon's Castle and whatnot. Bring the TT fair over. I mean, even adolescents um, go down there to, to go on the rides and whatnot. So what if it's not for um, the comeovers and stuff? 
at least give uh, some of the locals something to do. Well, they, I mean, they obviously say they're focusing on things that will get, they're obviously concentrating on the grandstand. They want to make that the centre of everything. Uh, and, and I think you're quite right. They're kind of turning their back on people who would want a fun fair on the Isle of Man. And let's admit it, it is mostly for Manx people. who mostly It's mostly parents with kids and people who want to hang around the fun fair, which is mm. something we don't get for 50 weeks of the year. Yeah, well, I reckon we need another Minister of Fun, to be honest. I mean, that David Cratney, he used to have street parties and whatnot across um, Douglas Promenade and all sorts. But nowadays, I mean, you don't get any of that. And, you know, bring it all back. We need it. Okay. All right. So you think that the fun fair adds to the atmosphere, even if it's not for visitors? Yeah. I mean, you had um, bushes down at the bottleneck, and we used to have all the fun stuff going outside of uh, outside of there. Now it's all been uh, put inside the Villa Marina, which is fine to, for some people. But, uh, you know, it's, it's hiding all the fact that the TT is being, well, it's, it's definitely, it's a shadow of its former self. Okay. All right. We appreciate that, Dossie. Thanks for being with us. Take care. Cheers now. And Julian's on now. Hi, Julian. Hi, Andy. Uh, yeah, Dossie's 100% uh, correct, I reckon, on that one. Um, it does seem like everything is it's always in a negative sort of shutting things down. I mean, I do hope that um, at some point in the future, Mad Sunday's returned, at least to the hybrid that it had before, where you could at least uh, let the guys have a bit of a good run over the mountain. Um, the talk of, I don't know, it's, it seems a little bit um, unclear at the moment. Is the is the mountain going to have a two-way or a one-way system? Is it going to be unlimited speed? Is it going to be a 50? Um, not quite sure what's going to happen in two. And also, what's year. going to happen to Ramsey Sprint? When's that going to be? Well, exactly, and that's a big one as well. I mean, it was always. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm a keen biker. I always was up there, and I don't know. Um, you think with all these new modern um, signs they've got that um, they could. I mean, that West Coast. If you're on a big bike, it's a nightmare going up there. And I know that there's this, you know, be safe thing. But, I mean, you know, you think with all these clever signs they have these days, they could at least have some form of bit of fun, even on the cronky body straight or something. But anyway, um, just wanted to talk quickly about the uh, Phil Gorn's uh, perspective program that was on recently about assisted dying. Oh, right. Yeah. And listening to the arguments on both sides. And just a couple of points. Um. My assumption is that assisted dying or assisted suicide um, is a decision of last resort when all other avenues of help and pain relief and care and psychological help have been exhausted. But what I'm finding confusing is that when I hear the new chief executive of the Hospice Isle of Man, um, John Knight, talking about funding problems, it makes me wonder why is the hospice struggling financially? And also, what priority of palliative care funding um, within Manx Care? What is that priority? And, you know, over the years, there's been a massive improvement in drugs, uh, you know, particularly in pain management, antidepressants, and also big movements forward with psychiatric help. I'm just thinking, where's the optimization of these treatments before they start jumping into, you know, assisted suicide legislation. I think every decision where this is concerned, uh, Julian, this is why, I, personally, I find it difficult to talk about because um, 
It's, yeah. a, it's something nobody wants. Nobody wants to admit their own mortality. Nobody wants to be planning for something like that. You normally plan for pleasant things, but but planning uh, pl- planning for, planning for your own demise is. Um, well, I'll be honest with you. I, I really can't come to a conclusion myself. No, and you know that planning. It, it's interesting with the legislation because it sort of seems to be a bit of a blank check, because some of the the sort of the titles within the legislation that's being proposed are things like you know you have to have mental capacity to make the decision, clear and settled intention. You've got to be voluntary when you request it. Um, and you have to have it on an informed basis without coercion. But there doesn't seem to be any detailed provisions in the bill as to how the criteria is going to be met. You know, how settled does the settled in your intention have to be? How long should that cooling off time be? I mean, I think there was mention of two weeks in that perspective thing. But I mean, even Canada's 90 days in two weeks. Um, what level of mental capacity? You know, there's no criteria in that what steps should a doctor take to establish whether the request is voluntary or without coercion and what kind of coercion i mean is it external or is it you know there's what is it uh, i think uh, people in oregon i mean it's 54 percent of them said they were just a burden it wasn't about pain it was just the fact that they just felt like a burden and can can depression on the knowledge that you've had a diagnosis impair your judgment and you know these days the doctor-patient relationship is not as close as it used to be. You know, if you go back a bit, you know, you, the, the doctors knew their patients very well now. Uh, but, I mean, Julia, you know, you look Julia at, that's a very good point. Yeah, you know, it's, it's sort of, um, I don't know, it seems to have become a little bit stepped back. But I just think that we're missing that bit in the middle where um, I think um, Dr. Harris said, you know, to um, Alex Allenson, what about looking at the at stopping the actual degradation of somebody well before you need to go to this step? The bit in the middle with all the the palliative care and the you know even reversing some of these conditions. Um, no talk of vitamin D in relation to rheumatoid arthritis, for example. You know, all these type of things are, are not discussed. It's just sort of we're just sort of jumping the entire argument to well we can help you with this. And overarching this, uh, Julian, is uh, something called the sanctity of life. Yeah, under Hippocratic Oath, and first do no harm. And then there's the other bit of a detail, which I mentioned a while ago. I mean, you know, if you look at, say, the DDMA, which is what Oregon does, the cocktail that you have to drink, either by crushed powder or by loads of tablets, which is equivalent to about 380 different tablets, there's no detail in, there's no question as to exactly how is that going to happen because looking deeper into this, I mean, you know, there's talk of 32 hours for somebody to pass away in, in, uh, in, even in Canada because it's not done and dusted because, you know, somebody who's near end of life that's very weak won't put up the same fight as somebody potentially who's 20 years old in great physical condition but wants to go down this path in the future like Canada's proposing at the moment, albeit paused. Note the word pause. It's not stopped, so it might come through. Um, your body's going to fight these type of drugs. It's not like somebody who's you know naturally shutting down at the end of their life. Okay. It's a difficult conversation, but... Um, 
I think the details are being skipped over in this in this legislation. You're kind of right. Let's put it in, and then we'll talk about the detail afterwards. Well, I think it's too big of a question for that. Well, difficult it is, and difficult it will remain, Julian. Thanks for being with us. Thanks, Andy. Okay, Cheers. yeah, good to talk to you. I want to go to Jewin's on now. Hi, Jewin. Welcome back, Andy. Thank you. <laughs> we um, we didn't bully Auntie Beth while you were away, honestly. Oh, she she'll be very the, uh, happy to hear it. Oh, no, but she mastered the fade switch quite well by the end of the week. She was getting into the swing of things there. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, I'm, listening to, I'm listening to Julian there for a minute, and, um, you know, I, I hear people come on and they go on about uh, me being on here all the time, which, which I'm not, and, and Julian coming on. But, you know, when you follow down the stuff that Julian says and you actually nail down into the, the facts of it, it's very factual. And... You know, it's just the fact that people either haven't got the time in their lives to be bothered tra- trailing for this stuff or um, they're too lazy to trail for it, whatever. But, I mean, a lot of the bullet point stuff that he brings up is, is very, very correct and very factual. So um, to, to the guy that came on last week, um, I think he texted in criticizing both of us for being on this show. Um, it, why don't they pick the phone up and why don't they be part of the change and come on and say their piece? You know, it, it, I'd love to sword fence with someone who's who disagrees with what i say so why don't you come on and um you know um pick the phone up and and, and come on um on to my points um interesting i picked up yesterday on a um a ferry line in bergen which has um has now stopped um is going to stop taking on evs on board their ship for um risk of fire just wondering how that's going to go in with the um, with the steam packet boat. They got better insurance than these people, or what? Well, they're going um, hell for leather for electric vehicles in Norway, certainly, aren't they? Yeah, but, and and you know when this company like this says we're not going to carry this stuff, I don't know where this is all going. I um, mean, I have these people that have done or promoting these EVs because obviously they just want to make their money out of selling them. Um, have they um, followed this down the line uh, as to where this is going? It well, just seems a little bit head scratchy to this, me. This will all come down to underwriters at insurance companies, and we've had enough of those of you know getting rid of people with house insurance and vehicle insurance on the Isle of Man. So it's the insurance companies that will make the decision, Joe. And if if you suddenly get a couple of spontaneous combustions from EVs then everything will change. And remember, I think we do have hazardous cargoes that come across. It's normally medical gases, I think, that come across once a week, and there's restricted access to the boat. So you just wonder what will happen with EVs. That's exactly right. I think I think you're allowed forty passengers on that sail. It's a dangerous goods sail, and I think yeah, that's yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So again, you know, it begs the question of, of where, where this is all going to end up. Um, and you know, along with this here, great, great, um, nice, bright green future that we've got um, brings me on to the tipping fees. Um, and I, I think um, there was a, a certain electronical company that was taking stuff back. Um, up, up to a couple of years ago and I think there was a bit of controversy and they were stopped doing it because a new company had taken over the contract with um, with the government um, and they wanted these, obviously these new fees came in for um, TVs and fridges and they wanted the business going through them and th- this other company I think was getting money back through a carbon credit scheme so it was quite lucrative for them doing it and again back to this here whole rigmarole of carbon credits and green future and 
bit head scratchy again, just wondering who's making all the money out of this at the end of it and what's it actually for. Um, and my, my final point, drifting off totally onto something else, is the, uh, the fun fairs. Um, and again, I think the question has got to be asked is, is what the fun fair was brought here for. Now, um, Jan and David, David Taylor, good friends of mine, been for years. Um, and as far as I know, as what you said earlier, Andy, it cost him a lot of money to be here. And I, I remember um, being with David on the promenade once and he was laughing. He showed me a bill that they'd put in. They, they used to have a meetings every morning with the police and the council about whatever was going on the night before and the tourist board. And um, they asked for Harris Fenton to be put up one year. Um, and he said, all oh, right. He said, well, we, you know, we're going to put Harris Fenton up. And then he was laughing because he said, just look at the bill that they've sent me for the Harris Fenton. They just dumped this bill for thousands in his, in his hand for, for the Harris Fenton. And that was supposedly to stop the, um, the, the alcohol going in the place. And then they put security on. Um, and, and, and anyone who's going to bring alcohol in, you're not going to stop them. Kids are just going to put it in a Coke bottle and walk through. So that was kind of a waste of time. Um, but I, I, I do think that it was for the locals. Um, I don't think there was there was much um, business brought in from people visiting. It was it was purely mostly for the locals. But then that begs the question as well: Are local people who run this type of stuff were never ever allowed on the promenade to, to operate? Um, you know, Jan and David had it all, and, and obviously they sold um, bits of that land through the Showman's Guild to other people to come over, and it was it was theirs. But the government were never really interested in in, in helping the local people out in putting on um, a fair for the for the people. So consequently, you know, they went to Peel and Port Erin and, and started doing ones down there. Where the what, what do you mean by putting a fair helping. on? Well, I mean, there's there's local operators who who have got stuff, and I know it's the same stuff that the kids see every 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 year and stuff like that. It's not the big rides, but they, they were kind of blocked in Douglas from from putting anything on on the promenade. Um, it was it was basically down to you know the the um, Taylor's Entertainments to to bring the stuff over. Um, so you know, it 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 kind of left a bit of a taste in the mouth all, all the time that the tourist board weren't really interested, and in, you know the commissioners in Peel and Port Erin actually went out of their way to to bring people down there to to put you know to, for the locals to operate. Uh, do you um, think? I mean, do you think the fun fair adds to the atmosphere? I mean, it, it's been on Lock Promenade, it was at Queen's Promenade, it was at Nobles Park. Where do you think was the best place for it, Jewett? And and it was and the old bus station as well, Andy. If you oh, do you remember? remember it, yes, I remember. It was on the bus station for a year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've I've, I've been with Jan and David at all these events in different places, and um, I, I don't know where the best place would be to be honest. I mean, they, they put it on the promenade. I don't think they were really happy with it being on the promenade um, because of the weather and, and and such. Like, if you looked at the promenade last year, was there any atmosphere on the promenade? None whatsoever. Um, would the noise have affected the 1886 concert? Yes, it would. Um, if the 1886 concert wouldn't have been on, would there have been anything on the promenade at all, any life at all? No, there wouldn't. Yeah. Um, so again, it's down to what the tourist board determines where their future's going with running the TT and, and how they want it. But from a policing point of view, um, was it easier to control the promenade? Yes, it was. Yeah. <laughs> so it, I think it's just down to um, who wants what and, and what, well, you know, what's, what, what was it there for? Do you think there should be a TT fun fair if the government let it? Do you think they should they should make efforts to put it there, June? 
Well, you know, it, it was always it's always been said that it's cost the government nothing to to put on per se. It was brought over, um, you know, on the profits that they were making. Um, and I know the the you know that they were obviously getting some discounted rates from the steam packet. It is our boat, and again, back to the story of, you know, are, is this boat functional for us, the people? And it's our it's our people's taxpayers' money that's paid for this. So you know, again, that begs the question on that. Um, you know, do we bring this over for the local people? Um, yes, there should be um, the fun fair, the local people. I'm, I'm sure um, that there's a place for it. Where, I, I, again, that that's down to um, that's down to different people's faults. But yeah, um, you know, there seems there seems to be a call for people um, to, to bring it over and and have it. Um, it's different. It's once a year, um, and you know, a lot of local kids do look forward to it. Okay. All right. Thanks, Jewan. Take care, Andy. All right, 25 to 1. When old man winter comes to town. Warm, welcoming, wonderful winter. The time to cosy up at home. And best of all, time for the winter sale at Millie Chaps of Ramsey. From furniture to beds, bedding and flooring, you'll find all your favourite brands at prices that will warm your heart and your pocket. Sale now on. Don't miss out. The winter sale at Millie Chaps of Ramsey. It's what winter was invented for. When old man winter comes to town. Call the UPVC window specialists, Phoenix Windows, for quality windows, doors and conservatories, along with fascias, soffits, barge boards, guttering and all building work undertaken. With free estimates, free surveys, guaranteed work and all island coverage. Phoenix Windows don't use standard off-the-shelf frames. Their windows are made to measure, which means you get a perfect fit, less bulky frames and more glazing. Call 816628 or visit phoenixwindows-iom.com. When did you last visit Currents Wildlife Park? There's so much to see, from monkeys and meerkats to red pandas and penguins. They have a great play area for kids, and did you know, adults come here on their own. They love it as much as us. There's the Mangrove Cafe, and Mum says the membership's great value. Ran gave it as a gift, and I adopted a gibbon. Currents Wildlife Park, open from 9.30 Thursday to Sunday, and every day in the school holidays. Follow them on Facebook and see what's on. Now more than ever, we probably all wonder what our kids' lives will be like in 20 years. Because if the last few years have shown anything, it's that nothing is certain. But right now, we've got the opportunity to give them some certainty. To give our island energy independence, with 20 years of clean local resources to provide jobs and security as we transition to a green economy. Visit Kroger.in now to find out more. It's an opportunity we shouldn't miss. At six o'clock this evening, you can join me, Fiona McArdle, for Chaclet. The small venue like this can be quite intimidating because you can see the expression on people's faces. I didn't think I'd win at all, but I'm so glad I did. <laughs> you can get scraps here and there, and you can be reading a book about history, and suddenly this weird and wonderful story will spring out. That's this evening at six, Chaclet with me, Fiona McArdle. The Man in Line, brought to you by NetZeroMatrix.com. Helping Isle of Man companies and citizens to understand net zero targets and a green future. 23 minutes before one Thursday lunchtime on the Isle of Man. Bonzo's with us now. Hi, Bonzo. Yeah, hi there. And to anyone who's thinking, oh no, it's the Julian and Juan and Bonzo show. Yet, yet, yet again. No, this is coincidence. You know, we're not on a retainer or anything, <laughs> uh, to, to appear, you know. 
Um, yes, the TT and its gentrification and its corporatization, of which the funfair uh, or lack of it uh, is a part. Now, I remember the great broadcaster John Peel uh, referring to the TT as a culturally sound week of beer and chips. And that's how it kind of used to be. Um, it was a broad church of people who come and watch the racing and they would enjoy it with the, the locals in a, uh, a broad church kind of manner. However, now the CFE over the years has got it into their noddle that uh, it should be something more like the Goodwood Revival rather than um, you know, the TT of old. And it should be somewhere with champagne tents and co everything being uh, corporate entertainment. Oh, a, a bit like the Premier League's gone. Well, I was just about to say, um, you know, this was an avenue, of course, that the Premier League went down. Um, you know, corporate boxes you know, where you, you know, even just have a seat in the stands would cost you more than going to the opera. Um, you know, and that, of course, has produced a, a, a backlash, which I, I believe there's some uh, proposals for legislation coming out now so that Premier League Cubs will be much more like the European model, where they're sort of fan-owned, really, and prices are, are, are reasonable. And there isn't this you know, emphasis on um, essentially the, uh, the experience being for corporate users with the fans there to, you know, provide atmosphere. Okay, well, I mean, t two questions then, Bonzo. I mean, do you think this is, if they are gentrifying the TT, if they are corporatizing the TT, does that make sound business sense? And secondly, is it right? Well, firstly, sound business sense, well, it depends on, on how you add up the numbers, doesn't it? Um, um, you know, what is the broader benefit? Uh, in in various expenditures, rather than just saying, oh, instead of having a bar here where we you know, serve beer and toasties, we'll have a champagne bar here that's you know, serving canapes and, and champagne. And well, yeah, you're going to make more money out of that, aren't, aren't you? That's pretty uh, pretty obvious. But what broader benefit is it of the, to the event, or indeed to its acceptance in, on the island? And we must remember that the TT um, and the Mount's Grand Prix are uh, only possible because it is with the approval and support of the Manx people now, who, who uh, are prepared to put up with road closures and, and all the other inconveniences um, in order to put on this, this marvellous event. And it's the Manx people, which EFE seem to entirely overlook. Um, I'm not a great fan of the, uh, the, of the fun fair myself, but I always kind of viewed it as a kind of quid quo quo with the Manx people that, look, you know, this is something we will let you have as a bit of compensation for all the um, inconven inconvenience that the that, that TT is going to cover. But it's also, as you say, this, um, uh, the idea of concentrating things into, into Douglas. So that you things like the Ramsey Sprint to compromise, and this nonsensical idea of having the senior on a Saturday, and which blooming idiot thought of that? Well, we'll see. But um, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm trying to I'm trying to struggle with the image of you on the Walter or driving a Dodgem Bonzo. 
Oh, no, 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 you won't get it. No, no. I mean, aerobatics, yeah, I can do those. I can do those slow rolls and things and um, cubinates and stuff like that. Great, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm great with that. Uh, going on one of, on that thing, oh, especially the one with the, oh, the uh, two, two big arms and there's a cabin on one end of the other and it spins round. No, 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 you can see the scratches there where people have tried to get me in and I've bolted off and gone, no, I'm not bloody well going in there. All right. All right. Thanks, Bonzo. We appreciate it. Okay, then. Cheers. All right. James with us now. Hi, James. Oh, hi. Um, I'm talking to you about electric cars, yeah? Yeah. I was walking through Laxey the other day and I had to step over some very thick cables going across the pavement to the vehicles that were parked in the um, side of the carriageway. And I was thinking to myself, I'm thinking about the streets, the back streets of Douglas and the promenade where people have to park on the opposite side of the road to to their flats, etc. When we all start to have more of these electric cars, are we going to have a labyrinth of cables going across roads, pavements and everywhere? Uh, You just wonder, and certainly for places like flats and for apartments and terraced houses, um, as yet we've not seen a comprehensive plan of what they do. But certainly, I mean, I'd suggest that wires across a pavement are a bad idea. Well, that's that's what I saw the other day, and they had no other option. And if you think about it, as I say, the back streets of Douglas, what other option could they have? Even if they put electric charging points along the curb, they need to double up because... People above have, need to be need to be there. You can just imagine what it's going to be like. And do you think they've thought this through? Nope, not at all. Haven't thought anything through. I mean, hybrid cars are fine. I'll, I'll settle for those. But full electric cars, there's a lot of complications, range, all the sorts of things that go with it. And but they certainly haven't thought that one through. How people charge their cars up at night. Okay. All right. Uh, thanks, James. Okay, bye. All right, good to hear. good to hear from you. I want to go to uh uh oh no, I was going to tell you about electric cars and this is a question that came in and it was about how electric vehicle fires are dealt with on the Isle of Man. It's a question that we had in uh how are they and we got a note back in from uh i think it was home affairs or fire service and it says in regards to electrical car fires at the moment we've purchased two car fire blankets this was paul who dropped a a note back to us uh, from the government we've purchased two car fire blankets to deploy island-wide Should there be a need for it? We're also providing e-learning packages for crews to help identify the hazards and a training package has been delivered to crews for the use of blankets at incidents with these two car fire blankets to deploy. Um, And um, he sent us a YouTube link uh, to these things. So there are if if there's going to be a car fire, we've got the blankets. That's the good thing. Tony B joins us now. Hi, Tony. How are you doing, Andy? Just a quick follow-on from what Bonzo's got to say. I'm not disagreeing with anything he said or anything, but one thing I would point out, and we keep hearing all the time, it's not just the TT, but everything. Let's change something that's not broken. The government seems set on changing everything when there's really nothing wrong with what they were doing. So why do they want to change it? So there's got to be somebody's interest here. And I see the TT as becoming less and less of a visitor event 
and more and more of an internet event. And that is the way the government is driving the whole of the Isle of Man. But there'll be no if atmosphere, think, will there? Without, without visitors, without people on bikes and leather and, yeah. and crash helmets and what have it won't feel like a bike event. No, and that's what will happen. And then eventually you'll get just three commentators stand at the grandstand and commentary from around the course, and it'll all be online because you can pay for it online, and the company providing that will make money, but the Isle of Man won't make money. Once again, the government has not thought we'll change something for the sake of change. Why do you change the, pers- the people who are giving the TT clothing out and selling it who are Manx-based, and then you change it to somebody who's not Manx-based? Why? Well, we haven't had a response to that. Well, I'm sure you won't get one because they don't want to respond to questions that are difficult. What they want you to do is just do as you're told. I mean, motorsport merchandise, everybody will admit, you know, I mean, their prices weren't uh, what you call low, but they they were absolute experts in delivering um, what they did. I mean, they were probably comparable to buying uh, merchandise at other motorsport events. But as you say, Manx-based, uh, and they knew their market back to front. So why was it changed? I asked the question, but won't get an answer. And this is atypical of the government. Let's do something that sounds great, but has no logic and no sense at all. And it's not really anything that needs to be fixed, but we'll change it anyway. Well, we'll soon find out because uh, we'll see what happens with the merchandise this time at this year's TT. Because obviously somebody's got the contract. It will have to be provided. And uh, let's hope they do as good a job as most of the sport merchandise managed to do. I can't believe they will be able to in the time frame. But there you go. Because everything will have to come from China. And there's shipping issues and ordering issues unless they knew beforehand. Anyway, good luck. All right. I just wanted to put that point forward. And it's not not just about the TT. Everything that happens is, oh, let's change it. Why? Because it's not broken, but we'll change it anyway. Uh, shall we file that under a moving target is harder to hit? Yeah, that would be a really good example of the government body swerves. All right, thanks, Tony. All the best, Danny. Take All right. care. All right, good to hear from you. Here comes Rosie now. Hi, Rosie. Oh, Hi. I quite agree about changing things that don't need changing. One thing, though, has the government thought, in their infinite wisdom, of asking the ones that matter most, which are the fans, how they would like it run? Because it's for them, not for their benefit, not for the government's benefit. So for goodness sake, ask the fans, first of all, how they like it done. They know how it should be done. Okay. I mean, do you think it's being gentrified? Do you think it's being corporatized? Yes, Definitely. I mean, we don't even have the, the fanfare now, apparently, because the, the government, again, in its infinite wisdom, thinks it's not worth it, I suppose. For goodness sake, the fans are the one that matters. Did they bother to ask us in the first place they were going to change this, that, and the other? OK, all right, thanks for calling today. Right, oh, you're welcome. All right, and Diane's on now. Hi, Diane. Oh, hi, Andy. Nice to see you. Oh, hear you back. Um, it's just about this ferry and this EV car. Yeah. It, I didn't hear anybody mention it on the radio, but the information I had, it actually sunk the ferry. Where the, was this? 
I, it was a Norwegian one. There wasn't a great deal of information about it. And, of course, obviously, that's so quick. There was no film of it. But um, it actually sunk the fire because if it uh, sunk the ferry because when these things catch fire, it all happens in seconds. And, and if there's any more EV cars next to it, they just catch fire in seconds. But that was the information I had that it actually sunk the sunk the ferry. Um, so, I mean, what do you think is going to happen on the Isle of Man when we're all driving electric vehicles? Well, they're all mad. The people are mad. Anybody that ha- I wouldn't have one for a gift. You can't get out of them when they catch fire. You can't even put the fire out. I, I wouldn't touch them. And they they're just not selling now, is what I understand. And the price of a new battery is more valuable, costs more than the car itself. I mean, I saw pictures in France where these EVs, you know, people don't want, and now all stacked up in fields. I, I wouldn't touch them with a barge pole. So, if, have... Diane, if somebody offered you an electric vehicle free of charge, you wouldn't take it? No, no. Because I've also heard, I haven't seen it, but I think so, when they catch fire, that you've only got seconds to get out. And if you imagine you've got children in the back or something, you know, that the doors and windows actually lock. I don't know if that's true, but no, I wouldn't have one for a gift. OK, all right, Diane, we appreciate your call. It's nine minutes before one on Mags Radio. Yeah, this is a story that a Norwegian ferry company has banned electrified vehicles. Uh, from uh, being transported on its ships. Uh, Lithium-ion batteries in electric vehicles, they say, pose a significant fire risk, further emphasised after a cargo ship called the Felicity Ace sank almost a year ago. Uh, Following a safety assessment regarding fire risk, the Norwegian ferry company decided to ban all but purely ICE uh, vehicles from its vessels. Um, The word is statistics... Uh, say that electric vehicles catch fire from time to time. It's well known they do. They just spontaneously go up, although the fires are far less common than people imagine. EV fires are less frequent than those affecting uh, ICE vehicles. ICE, of course, is internal combustion engine vehicles. It's obviously um, diesel and and petrol. Nevertheless, uh, EV, EV fires pose a higher risk because they're much harder to extinguish. Lithium-ion batteries contain highly flammable electrolytes and chemical reactions during thermal runaway events generate oxygen. And obviously oxygen in a fire, well, we know where that ends. So that's why putting out a lithium-ion battery fire requires special firefighting techniques and huge amounts of water. Don't worry, we've got two blankets. The Man in Line, brought to you by NetZeroMatrix.com. The Isle of Man's main Net Zero Progress website. Uh, lots and lots of uh, messages uh, to get into, but I really want to get to this. It was a, a response to a question somebody put in recently, and it's about Nobles Hospital Car Park. Well, Manx Care have got everything on their plate at the moment with Opal Level 4 at Nobles Park, with uh, the Balasella Medical Centre chipping out and giving notice. Uh, but obviously, the Nobles Hospital Car Park, and you just wonder whether this is a bit like the TT Funfair that it's inevitable that at some point we're going to get charged at Noble's Hospital Car Park. Uh, some bright spark will come up with the idea of a, what will it be? 
it'll be an app, won't it? Anyway, got a message back from Manxke saying officers from the Department of Infrastructure are undertaking their responsibility under Braddon Off-Street Car Parking Orders. Uh, they're giving tickets out at Nobles Car Park, which includes some designated parking areas on the Nobles Hospital site. All disabled parking areas on the Nobles site are designated in the order. This includes the disabled parking area in the main car park, which has some areas delineated as no parking. However, despite these markings, people frequently park in the no parking areas, causing hazards and safety issues. The DOI is responsible for policing these areas with parking officers outlined in the order. Are you following this? This is the the Braddon Off-Street Parking Order 2019 and they've been issuing parking violation fixed penalty tickets where necessary. They may also issue tickets for out-of-date tax discs and other contraventions in these areas. Many areas across the Noble site weren't originally formally adopted, and so the parking restrictions aren't currently enforceable in the areas. However, there are plans for the whole of the Noble site to be adopted as a public highway so that any infringements of double yellow line parking can be enforced by the DOI. We'll file that under The Crunch is Coming. Uh, the UK Financial Service Compensation doesn't cover the Isle of Man, says a, a, a message, a texter, uh, regarding... Do you remember the message we had in yesterday uh, regarding the insurance and uh, what you, the fact that insurance companies are pulling out of the Isle of Man and not offering cover? But also a message in from John F., who said, I listened uh, to Man in Line yesterday and I was surprised that nobody mentioned the broader implications of the potential closure of the Balasala surgery. Now, despite an ever-increasing population, we lost the post office, we lost the bank, and the pub looks to be struggling. We don't know that. John's words. The pharmacy is reliant on the surgery, and I would suspect that without it, the shop might struggle. So are we in the so-called village of Balasala en route to being a ghost town of Balasala? Does it really require that much joined-up thinking to see that if you're, uh, if you're planning and building 300 houses, you need the facilities and we need a health centre? Text, email, call and WhatsApp. Remember, out of hours, you can also get in touch. 682631 on the answer phone and email maninline at manxradio.com. Uh, the government, says Pat, is trying to make TT pay for itself. They want to make big profits. The problem is, the TT's not on a closed fence circuit where organisers can charge on the gate for entry. Camping grandstand uh, will maximise profits. The TT is on closed public roads, so obviously they can't charge people. So what they're doing is trying to fleece the public and businesses in other areas. Thank you, Patrick. And talk about electric cars. Denmark's just banned them on passenger ferries from this week, says Pat. Well, if that's happening in Scandinavia, the restrictions on electric cars fall in line with the new world order, says Des. Des and his new world order, one of my favourite bands of the 80s, I must admit. That's it, we're back with an open line tomorrow, Friday lunchtime. Thanks for uh, Chris Quirk on the phones today. Enjoy the rest of your Thursday. W-I-N-T